Alrighty, as promised, we are back with another AmeriCorps alum. Um, I'm telling you, they just keep showing up. Like, I guess we're doing something right on this podcast. So this is, uh, yay, this is AmeriCorps Connections and I'm Nikki Fiaco. And I started this uh, this podcast partially, mostly out of my obsession for podcasts, but also because my service year was so impactful for me when I served as state national uh, AmeriCorps member with Volunteer Maryland. And, um, you know, my year was so important to me and it, it had such an influence. And one of the things that I took away, the biggest thing I took away was um, connections and relationships and how to keep those going. And I really, really wanted to um, throughout my service year or throughout after my service year to continue these connections. Um, and after many, many positions within AmeriCorps, um, state national AmeriCorps commissions, I'm, I'm able to bring this podcast to you all and you know, focusing on AmeriCorps alums, but also I think that a lot of people are using this as, I would say, a recruitment opportunity for people to listen to the journey and, you know, how are, how the alumni got into service and, and where they are now. And, and and honestly, that's where I'm really focused on is um, like, what are you up to now? So we have a wonderful guest here, um, Dr. Jenna Pugh, and you, you've had, you've spanned so many, um, uh, legs of service to to land where you are. So I'm going to let you introduce yourself because as I always say, you're going to do a way better job than I will. But I love having um, guests on the podcast that like can speak directly to their service and the shoes behind them and the book behind them <laughs> and to talk about like how that service year impacted them. Before we get started, as always, I want to just thank um, Dan Medivere from Time and Time or Money Services. Um, if you're listening listening to this on any of the uh, podcast um, platforms, he was definitely the one that got me there. So thank you, Dan. And with no further ado, I want to introduce our AmeriCorps alumni uh, for this pod podcast episode, Dr. Jenna Pugh. And please tell us, like, how the heck did you find AmeriCorps and why the heck did you serve? Let's just start there. <laughs> So hi, I'm Dr. Jenna. I, um, like many, fell into service. I graduated from Denison University in 2008, which we now know was a rough time to um, go into the workforce, but I didn't really know it then entirely. I had been interviewing for jobs towards the end or getting towards graduation and um, nothing quite panned out. Now I kind of have an understanding of why. So in July following graduation, I went back to my career advisor um, in tears. It was not cute. And Aww. just said, I want to help people. I had coached cheerleaders, middle school cheerleaders when I was in college and absolutely loved it. And I knew that maybe education was of interest, but definitely knew I didn't want to teach in a classroom, like classroom management was not what I saw myself doing. Um, so when I went into that meeting, I said, I want to help people. I want to help them realize their goals. Um, but I have no idea what to do or how to do this. And after a long talk, he said, you know what? there's this program called city year. There's one in Columbus and we were at Denison is just outside of Columbus, Ohio. And at the time he said, like, I think there's still openings. You should apply, see if it works out. And it did. So I started in August or September of 08. It's a 10 month program. And it 
it definitely changed the trajectory or trajectory of my life from everything and good on him for knowing city year and knowing it was an option because that's mm-hmm. kind of rare unfortunately as as you've probably found out later in your career so just wanted to point those things out right from the get-go it's like synchronicity is already like americorps is like yeah we need you over here <laughs> i definitely had never heard of it and i thinking um like prior to logging on like how did i end up serving it was very much my family we were sort of the house that people came to so whether it was my parents Mm -hmm. friends or whether it was my my friends or my siblings friends like we were the safe space to end up being um so if anyone ever needed a hand we were there for it so it's something that was ingrained at a very young age and um i guess definitely continues still continues to this day i walk through life figuring out like oh how can i make somebody's day just a little bit better (laughs) right into city year and then from there, I you start thinking, they call it your Lacey plan, your life after city year plan. So something That's that so city funny. year does, it's amazing. Something they do incredibly well is focus on giving professional development almost on a weekly basis, I think, just to get you to start thinking about what you want to do next. And honestly, for me, and I think a lot of other core members, it was so needed um, to give a little bit of structure to think about what the future could look like. And at that time, I didn't really know what my game plan was. I was a Mm -hmm. first generation college student. So just getting through college and graduating was pretty cool. Um, And then I had to think about the job part after and didn't really have the same resources or awareness that a lot of my peers did. So City Year gave me, gave me the chance and exposure to think about what other opportunities there were available. Um, so I unintentionally took two gap years. We'll talk about my next gap year um, between graduating undergrad and going to graduate school. So yeah, it was it was just a great time to think about what should I do next? So some of my teammates were thinking about graduate school. And one of the conversations with that same career advisor was, Jenna, you could do what I'm doing at some point. And mm. that it, but it didn't click at the time. I didn't understand at the time yeah. that that meant going to graduate school for something specific. The Dean of Students had taken me under her wing and she's like, and gave me a graduation card that actually said like, Jenna, you know, maybe the seat will be yours one day. And so she was very influential too, and actually went through this graduate program that I ended up eventually going to. So, but before that happened, I applied and didn't get in because I had no idea what I was doing with the application. Mm, It was a full crash and burn. Um, I didn't apply to anywhere else. I just had it in my mind, like, well, I'm going to apply to Ohio State. And if I don't get in, then I guess I'm not going to grad school because right. I didn't want to leave Columbus. <laughs> so it's just a very narrow-minded looking back on it now. But it, one of the things I want to just ask you real quick yeah. during your city year, um, can you just name like two, as far as I understand, city year is usually in the classrooms, right? Mentoring students, or am I getting that confused with uh, public allies? Um, 
I don't know if Public Allies does that too, but City Year does do that. Okay. So my year, we it's structured differently now, but my year we had different teams. So there were teams in elementary schools. Um, we were in a high or a middle school, and then there was also a high school team. So there were five on my Young Heroes team. And so our role, we tutored and mentored throughout the week, but our bread and butter, if you will, was our Saturday programming where we brought together up to 80 middle schoolers at the local community college. And then we would bus everybody out to like five different sites, service sites. Wow. Oh, wow. It's, it's nuts to think about it now. Um, know, right? That. Like the so, logistics. Yes. Well, and to even get to that point, we spent the first few months of city year going and doing recruitment during lunchtime. So we would go into lunchrooms and we'd set up a table and then we'd talk to students and talk up this cool program that we did that we didn't entirely know what it was because yep. it was our first year yeah. and um, try to convince them to sign up. And it wasn't just getting the students to sign up because clearly being minors, then we had to cold call parents so we would get their phone numbers and cold called parents to see, hey, is it cool if your kid comes and does this? They signed up at lunchtime and we had every <laughs> single response. And we, But a lot of students did ultimately come, but some parents are like, you did what? You yeah. gave your phone number to who? Right. Um, <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you shared that because it was, um, it kind of like, I feel like the beginning years of, of, of national service it was like the wild west a little bit where it was like we want to do this thing we just don't know how to do it but we we want to get things done and and I say that all the time and I know it's like the the catchphrase of AmeriCorps getting things done but that was the bottom line like we want to get things done and we just kind of or I was not part of the wild west I really wish I was I think the universe was protecting the country and myself from putting me in the wild west because I would have been like we're gonna do it all um but thank you so much for sharing that that's so funny and and for those um you know I don't know folks that are, don't usually make like that's literally dialing a phone, picking it up. Mm -hmm. Somebody actually answers now, like, or back then they, they actually answered because we were excited to get phone calls, right? <laughs> like, who could this be? Now I'm like, oh God, who could this be? <laughs> that's probably why they transitioned away from it because it just yeah. stopped picking up. Yeah, that's great. Well, that, thank you so much for sharing part of your, yeah. your um, experience. So, um, yeah, so then uh, your your next experience was with Camps Compact, is that true? Yes. So after that rejection letter, I had to recalibrate. And at that time, other first-year members who still had one year left to potentially get another education award started thinking about, are they going to do a second year with AmeriCorps? And so one of my teammates, Heather, who's wonderful, and I hope she listens to this and I miss her, um, she was applying to campus compact in Maine um, to be an AmeriCorps VISTA, which inspired me to do the same in Ohio. So I joined Ohio Campus Compact and I went to a technical college that was still local to Central Ohio. So I'm Ohio born and raised, 
still here. And um, so worked at a technical college and I was one of three, it was a really unique program. So I was there, which was co-located with Ohio State Newark, which is a regional campus. So there was another VISTA there and then Denison University, my undergrad, there was a third one there. So we each did work mm -hmm. on our own campuses and then we came together to work within the local school district to do financial literacy and also college literacy. So it was the first of a three-year program where they were ramping up to help second, fourth, sixth, and eighth graders in different key points to essentially increase the college going rates of the county. Because I think the county had maybe 15% um, had gotten a bachelor's degree. So they were working on increasing higher education and starting as early as second grade. So it was fascinating experience um, to be like at the start of something new. Um, yeah. And what I loved most about like City Year compared to Vista was City Year was situated as direct service. And so mm -hmm. you're sitting with the kids every single day and learning and teaching with them. And then Vista being situated as indirect service where you are building the structure for something to exist well beyond you leaving. So I was the first of three years that was hopefully building something that could be handed off to a full-time staff member upon its completion and um, was very collaborative and related to a lot of different local agencies. So it was cool. It's so cool because, um, you know, you're, I think you're number 25 of, of the interviews that I've recorded. I've had more conversations, but 25 that I've recorded and a, so many of the VISTA members that do VISTA, um, either after or before, like if there's, if, if there's a, if they do two years of service and VISTA's in there, it's always a very clear indication about the different experience from VISTA. And most of the time, and it's funny because I, um, Rachel Dubois, Dubois, Dubois. I, I don't know why I have such a hard time saying her name. Um, she's in um, career services at uh, the Wagner School in uh, NYU. And she had, I think, two or three years. And her final year of VISTA, she was like, I really want that behind the scenes, exactly what you said, mm -hmm. like indirect service where I'm, I'm putting together, you know, so you just, it's just really interesting how the conversations go to when when folks are serving as Vista that it's it's indirect service and it's capacity building, and mm -hmm. it's yes. building out a project and it's so important for like skills in the future of building and implementing and making things happen. Absolutely. Oh, I didn't pause. Sorry. Oh, no, you didn't pause. I didn't ask another question. I just kind of was like acknowledging like that is so cool. Um, But I can ask another question. So you did Vista um, mm -hmm. and that would and, and I'm understanding, too, because I come from state and national. So understanding how the Vista cohort, especially mm -hmm. camp campus compact, how that works, because it's higher education institutions and you're all in different institutions, but doing similar work and then you come together and that's amazing and so during that service year was there any inkling that you found like oh gosh like I'm really enjoying or or did you move on to your master's from this point like where where I were did. you in your so the reason I pursued Campus Compact was the graduate program I was applying for was called um, higher education and student affairs 
So I thought a great way to boost my application is to do a year of service in higher education. Have experience, yeah. Yep. To prove yeah. my commitment to the field. And I think that worked amongst other things. I completely overhauled my personal statement. I you know, met with <laughs> faculty members, <laughs> found out what I did wrong. And um, so during that year, I applied to graduate school, got in, went to Ohio State, and then was there. So I did two years two-year master's program starting in 2010 and then stayed there until 2022 during which I had a few different roles I got a doctorate and then um wow. yeah, left last year so that's so amazing and 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 your experience within campus compact and your vista year helped you understand like what needed to happen and who you needed like higher mm -hmm. education is such a system that if you don't understand it, it's you're not going to get anywhere. And so during that VISTA year, it really helped you. What I'm hearing you say, if I can put words in your mouth, it, it really helped you understand like, oh, how to do my application different, who I needed like references to be on my application and, and all of that. And so you went through and now you've taken that experience and you're helping other people like get on and get better and do, do stuff. Oh, I almost swore there. But you can, you can swear on this podcast. It's okay, but I don't want to come across this like brash. <laughs> um, so next question, I guess. Yes. Okay. Next question. <laughs> I think so. Or was the there another question I didn't completely respond? No, I don't think I can. So for the folks that are listening or watching to this, um, right before we got on, Jenna's, um, internet started getting weird. So we have this thing where we're just kind of watching each other's facial cues to see if anybody's internet dropped out. So that's where we're like, did you freeze? So just bear with us. Everything's great. Yeah, um, just cut it. Yeah, we'll cut it, whatever. It's actually kind of fun to be just honest. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so you finished your mm -hmm. campus compact and then you figured out like what you needed to do. Mm -hmm. And and that brought you to where you were now or do you want to reflect on um you know, the time that you spent in the career services offices or why you chose to kind of step out and be like, you know what, I can help other people yeah. to choose, you know, to steal a term from, I think it's Baltimore for to find their next best opportunity, which I love that. Oh, that is good. I know. I don't know if it's trademarked, but I love it. I might write it down on a post-it. I have several. <laughs> um, I can't see my post-it tree over here, but it's full. <laughs> So I went into higher education just because higher education completely changed my life. It changed mm -hmm. my trajectory and it was something I felt strongly about. So just the fact that I had the opportunity to go to undergrad um, was something that I felt strongly. So a lot of people who go into higher education usually had some sort of really fantastic experience as a college student, maybe a mentor who like we kind of get cherry picked and they're like, oh, you could do what I'm doing, that sort of thing. And there's this path into higher ed. So I followed that because I wanted to help people. And also, um, as much as I enjoyed working with kids, it's really nice working with um, traditionally age college students yes. or adults in general. So yes. 
it's just a different level of conversation. You can be open in different ways and really honest. And that was something that I very much enjoyed. So um, at Ohio State, I started in engineering career services as my assistantship while I was in grad school, and then moved into what we called scholars programs, which are essentially living learning communities on steroids. So I would have cohorts of students who were interested in a specific area. So there are 17 of these programs. And so I ran health sciences and then I later ran the business scholars program, but there's also law and arts and it's Media a marketing lot. communication. There's all kinds of fun stuff. So um, all the students lived together during the first year and then would see me weekly. So I was their um, instructor. I was their support system. I like to say like, I can easily review your resume or we can have an existential crisis right now, whatever you need. <laughs> um, come have a seat in my office, literally like after my time in higher education, nothing can shock me or scare me. I have seen and heard everything. And wow it's, it's hardened me in the best way possible. I think it's something that maybe not, that's not the right word, but I am very empathetic to actually this ties back to city year. You never know what somebody is going through mm. ever. And just try to be kind and leave someone's day better than they found it. I had a student, this was I mean, one of those core memories, but I had a middle school student and we were working at it was like an art club or something. And she, I don't remember if I'd like asked her to do something, but she just snapped and called me every name in the book and was just screaming and eventually stormed out. And I was just sitting there jaw to the floor. I'm 22, 23 years old at this point. Um, and your initial reaction is like, you can't talk to me that way. Yeah. Um, and I was just like completely baffled. And the teacher took me aside a few minutes later and said that one of her family members had been shot the day before. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it was just like, this is reality mm -hmm. for a lot of people. And like, it's things are about way more than ourselves. And we just need to understand that it's, it's, it's just life is bigger than ourselves and you never know what somebody's going through. So if you can approach people with a little grace and kindness, it goes a long way because you never know if you're the only good thing that'll happen to them that day. Yeah, that is such an amazing reflection. And one of my mantras throughout the day is everybody's doing the best they can. Yes. You know, like, like honestly, and, and everybody's doing the best they can with what they woke up with that morning. You know, I mean, the mantra can go on and on and on. Right. Um, but if we, do have a little bit of space and grace for folks and to mm -hmm. recognize that we, you know, I, I think um, I, I learned about a year ago about there's the golden rule of like treat people how you want to be treated, mm -hmm. but there's the platinum rule of treat people how they want to be treated. And oh. I, I was like, wow. And right. Doesn't that hit? Mm -hmm. Because I'm a totally different person than you. I'm a totally different person than the 25 other people that I've interviewed on this podcast. And, and we're all different. And if we can just show up for each other with space and grace and compassion and empathy, and just recognize that everybody's doing the best they can. And we don't know what they just woke up with. Like, like if anybody doesn't get any, if you, if anybody doesn't get anything out of this podcast, this little two minute thing, no, it wasn't mm -hmm. even two minutes, 30 seconds. <laughs> like, like, I think that that's, it would just make, 
a lot of things a lot easier. I mean, even standing in line, one of my favorite things to do when I'm driving in traffic, I'm just going to share this. Mm -hmm. um, we have a main road in our my small suburban town, and it's always congested and people, you know, you have to get there. You have to use it to get to from one highway to, to the other and then also get to all the other like schools, high school and middle, like everybody's on this little tiny one way road. And my favorite thing is when people are like tailing me because it's it's a 35, 40 mile an hour. I just pull off to the side. I'm like, you obviously have somewhere you need to go. I'm coming mm -hmm. back from the gym. I might stop by the grocery store and pick up some eggs. So please feel free. And then my favorite thing is when I show up right behind them at the red light. <laughs> like, but my mom used to I'm wave like, in those situations. She doesn't anymore because 2023, but she yeah. would just be like, <laughs> when I looked in the rearview mirror, it's terrible. Yeah. It's like, just go ahead. You know, I don't know why you are in a rush, but you're in a rush and I'm not. So please do your thing. Yep. Um, so I don't know. I, I agree with that. And and what an amazing experience to have it at 23 and to recognize mm -hmm. it, right. To live, like, mm -hmm. like see like, wow. Um, so amazing. And so you're now you you recognize that you have you understand like what needs to happen and and how these systems work and mm -hmm. and what was it that just made you decide to be like all right well let me save everyone else <laughs> yes so um the reason i ended up leaving at least formally working in higher education i had a back to back to back series of health events in my family and it was something that um, I think I had some of the similar signs that others did during the pandemic where, okay, what are my priorities? What mm -hmm. am I doing? What do I want to be doing? Who do I want to be helping and in which ways? And it just it hit all at the same time. Yes. Like my mom got sick and, and I just realized like, I want to spend some more time with her. And I had some health things going on. We started a family that was not a smooth start at all. Mm -hmm. And so priority shift, which they often do when family needs um, come first. So I decided to resign 10 years to the day that I was working full time and just took a bit of time to be with family, reflect, heal, and decide what was next. So I graduated. So this was 2022. And I finished my doctorate in 2020, defended my dissertation on April 9th of 2020, um, you know, three weeks after everything shut down, we were all still figuring out Zoom. Um, people are still, you know, very much in crisis mode, starting to go stir crazy. And so when I was leading up to um, defect, excuse me, defending, I had been, oh, prior to the pandemic, I had been thinking like, okay, I'll graduate and I'll see what's next and I'll move into a new role. And the reason I got the doctorate, I was hoping to move into a leadership role and um, pandemic happened and it just, yeah, it stopped everything. Yeah, no. <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, job security's no. great. Um, and I loved my team, absolutely loved my team mm -hmm. at the time. So I was like, okay, I will weather this storm, you know, because at the time everything was going to be shut down for what, two, three weeks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> two weeks. Okay. Two months. Okay. Three months. Okay. Six months. Okay. We don't know. So it um, just kept going as we know now. And 
at the time though, I had thought about what my next move would be potentially outside of higher education or outside of the university setting. So I had a notes app started and that just kind of kept building and growing and building and growing. And then after I left, I had a lot of late nights, um, obviously with a, a newborn and would think about what was next. And when I started looking at job postings, like I just felt gutted and nothing spoke to me. And I, I was just done being in a system and also being at a place so large. I mm -hmm. mean, Ohio State's 60,000 students, 40,000 faculty and staff, like it's larger wow. than most right <laughs> wow so, Forty thousand staff yeah it's, oh my god there's a lot and this is spread amongst campuses so there's a lot yeah. going on yeah, yeah um but i was ready to be on my own or outside mm -hmm. of a system that had a lot of red tape um mm -hmm. and so it was just time to try my own thing and we were in a spot where I could start exploring that. So I did. And I started looking at different online courses and thought really about who I wanted to help. And something that just finally clicked one day was that I had a number of students that I'd worked with as undergrads come back to me after graduation a few years out and say, I need to have my personal statement. I'm applying to law school or medical school or graduate school, whatever it might've been. And those were some of my favorite conversations. I loved mm -hmm. the, this roots back to everything that I'd been doing. So, you know, everything clicks, you know, hindsight's yep. 2020. Yep. Um, and I just knew that that was what was lighting my fire now. So I'm now helping working professionals who are applying to graduate school. So either if they are considering or if they are actively applying, it's very new. I, I finally have a website launched. I'm building my first digital product, which I'm excited about. I have a newsletter going. I'm getting active on LinkedIn, which I have not posted on social media really for like a decade. So having a personal brand is yeah. Speaking of the wild, wild west, that's where I am yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because like, I, I need to do all that stuff with this podcast. Like the, uh, the first thing I wanted to do was have content. So people, if they mm -hmm. went to something, they could see that there were several episodes and I, I have a, I have a website, but it's not working the way that I want. And there's things that I want to do. And it's a lot, like it's, mm -hmm. it's really a lot. I'm trying to figure out how to do Instagram and all this stuff so that people will we'll see the, you know, the podcast more right now, like LinkedIn is my best friend. The, uh, the best place to put any of your information is in America, AmeriCorps alums uh, group. Like we are such a loving group. It's, it's so nice. I feel like when I go into that group, everybody's just like, oh, what you're doing is great. And I have these opportunities too. And it's, it's wonderful. And, um, the one thing I wanted to just circle back with about bureaucracy and how, you know, I worked, I worked in, I worked for state government and not only state government, like in the governor's office in Maryland. And I mean, like we would have these amazing ideas to do these things and we would get all the way right up to like where it was like possible. And one person would just be like, it's, you can't do that. And I'm like, why it, it was it was so like heartbreaking where um it was kind of but it taught me so much right it also taught me to slow down and to think about like 
you know, how, how can we make this work? Um, but it is exciting to think about getting out of that and then being able to work directly with the people who you could actually help change their lives within three months because they just mm-hmm. need help navigating through an application, you know? Well, related- so how, yeah, no, go ahead. I was thinking related to that too, just thinking about the benefits of service years in general, regardless of the program, a lot of them want you to develop or capture data to show the impact mm-hmm. of your work. And that is something that we didn't fully understand. Like city or 18 to 25 year olds. So people who may have not or likely haven't worked yet. Yeah. And so when we would hear like, oh, you need to create data. Like we need to prove that you're doing something. And to us, we're like, we're showing up every day and like, <laughs> yeah. we're sitting with, you know, so that direct versus indirect service. So yeah. we're like, of course we're doing something and making an impact. They're like, yeah, but we need to see that somebody's test scores improved or um, that they were retained or that their attendance improved. Attending, like, yeah. like all of these things. And so that was a fantastic lesson that I learned to take forward in my professional career was like, if you want to ask for something, you need to put together a case for it. And there better be some (laughs) incredible data points to prove how and why this needs to happen. And unfortunately within education and well, my service was within education. A lot of these things are very intangible. So yes, you Mm have standardized tests, but um, it was hard like when I worked in higher ed, there's not really any way to capture that sort of impact. It's sort of like, okay, they came back next year. Like they went from their freshman into the sophomore year, which is great, but nobody necessarily knows how or why that happened where programs like the program I was running helped facilitate the community and the connection and the sense of belonging that led to the, the numbers that are really important in a large organization. Yeah, it's that upstream problem. I think I have the book, yeah, Upstream by Dan Heath. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, he writes about like, you know, somebody's standing on the side of a river and he, they keep, you know, grabbing people out of the river. And then finally somebody's like, well, let's just go upstream and see what's happening. And they find out that the bridge is broken, but it's really hard to determine once you fix that bridge, nobody's really falling downstream. So how do you, like gauge and measure things that aren't happening anymore right Mm -hmm. and and on a quick turnaround I mean you can do that on on a longitudinal like a really long study of like you know generally 50% of the people and over the past five years but for somebody to turn around and, and say hey I've been in this position for two or three years and this is what we've implemented and this is what we see you know, correlation, whatever. It's tough. It's really hard. Measuring collective impact, measuring community impact is really, really hard. It's hard. Yes. It's really hard. In these programs too, by the time you learn how to do it, you finished your service year. (laughs) Right. Yo, totally. Absolutely. So I think that's a struggle that AmeriCorps has to unfortunately manage is that the nature and the structure of the program is such that people have this experience and then immediately move on, which is fantastic to get people more experience, but it's hard to um, 
maintain or it's hard to get the the data that you need to if you don't know how or what or if it changes every single year because you're also yeah. at the mercy of whatever the government wants or needs or what that funding looks like yeah i one of the things i remember when i was director for volunteer maryland which was an americorps program within the governor's office in maryland and so it was a state program and we'd always have to report um to uh the general assembly about like how many volunteers we recruited and this and that but we were we were uh, um uh we we sourced our AmeriCorps members out. We were intermediary. So we sourced our AmeriCorps members out throughout the state. So it depended on like who we partnered with and how many volunteers they needed. Like sometimes the programs only needed like, like CASA, right? Like court appointed mm-hmm. service. I forget what it stands for. They only need like five really good volunteers that are going to stick with these kids for like years. Five is good, right? And then we might partner with another organization that had like 300 volunteers for a national day of service or whatever. And so our numbers were always skewed and they were like, why were, why were your numbers a thousand times less in this year? And I'm like, because <laughs> that's, what, you know, to, to your point where it's like, how do you, so anyways, I think we're going on a tangent about like, um, data but I'm a total data dork so and data you know tells stories and you use data for stories and and everything and it's important but it's also really difficult to to collect but let's talk about like what you're doing now because I think um I think for the audience that uh, is listening to this and and for folks that I think you're you you want to reach that like what you're doing now is is really important and super helpful and and you're an AmeriCorps member, so we love you yes. and trust you. <laughs> That's all it comes down to. So the purpose of starting an online business was just to reach the masses and um, I guess pull the curtain back on graduate mm-hmm. admissions because it's something, there's a term within higher education called the ivory tower and that. Yes. Um, <laughs> And that it's something that people look at colleges and universities like this ivory tower that is untouchable and closed door and who knows what's really going on and only certain people have access to it, which is true. And it's something that there are people within higher education who are very focused on college access or providing access to get an education. So whether it's underrepresented communities, it's there's so much happening there, um, but it's often overshadowed, especially like the current conversation around higher education is just wild. And so anyways, I felt so strongly about my graduate experience. And I know there are other people who want to go to graduate school and don't know how or don't know where to start or they open the application, they see all the different steps. And it's like, you want me to do what? I have to talk yeah. to who? I have to get how many letters of recommendation? who's supposed to actually write my letter? I haven't been building yep. those types of relationships. Nobody told me to, because um, again, it's coming from a first generation college student perspective. Like you don't know what you don't know until you need to know it. And sometimes it's almost too late. Yep. So I want to meet people where they are. So right now I'm um, follow me on LinkedIn. I am shooting out all kinds of tips and tricks and um, letting people know a little bit about what actually goes on. So I did a post today about your personal statement's actually really not about you. Um, they're looking mm. to see 
how will you fit in in class? Will you be a great addition into class? Um, and how will you be as an alum? So when you're talking about your career goals, they actually want to see, are you going to be a great representative of the program? Are you going to go out into the world and possibly recruit other fantastic people? Are you going to end up in a job that you've been able to not materialize, but able to um, <laughs> like leverage. Yeah. Um, like, right. Like, leverage explain, or... like that they're in their oh. statement, able to explain what they want to be doing in a way that convinces faculty members that, Oh, they have a game plan and they're going to go on into this career, a career that they definitely want to do and they will be successful. And then when you have successful alumni who are satisfied, they usually give in some way, shape, or form back to the university. And the higher the giving rates, the better the university looks in US News and World Report and higher rankings. All of this stuff, this is like, I literally have a doctorate in this. So this is something that no one else <laughs> should need to know, but it makes a difference when one individual person is just trying to access higher education, a graduate education for what they want to do next. So yeah. I want to help people do that. And also for people who are coming out of um, working for a few years, like if you haven't been in school, you don't have career services to go to anymore usually. So where do you go? Google. Mm. And you could spend hours doing that. So I want to be just like I have been for my students for over a de decade. I want to be a trusted resource who will just mm -hmm. tell it like it's it, like it is and share different resources, potentially a course. Um, hopefully by the time <laughs> this airs or somebody is listening to it a year or two from now, this has been built out way more. So I'm very much at the beginning stages, but if you're listening to this soon and you'd like to learn more about going back to school, or if you'd like to chat about your experience, I would love to have a one-on-one -on -one because I am learning from people each and every day who are at different points in their career, have different reasons for wanting to go back. And it's been super fun for me to have these conversations and um, shed a little light on what actually goes on or also connect the dots. People say like, here's been my life experience. I have no idea what to write in my statement. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, why don't you write about this? Because as somebody who read applications for 10 years, I can tell people exactly what I'd like to read because I read a lot of things that were fine and were okay enough, I guess. Um, and then I read some that just blew my mind. So I can also tell people, this is the thing about you that would really stand out. So write about that. And just seeing the relief of not having to figure out what to write about your life in 500 words is just yeah I can't even tell you like I'm I'm writing notes because I'm thinking about all of the all of the folks that I've been involved with who need to connect with you and who like I'm already thinking like we'll talk offline but like to do some type of alumni mastermind because there there's people that I've interviewed who between the time that I've interviewed them to now have lost their jobs and are either like thinking about going back to school or what have you mm -hmm. and I think that this this skill is is so needed and and I'll just do a little like reflection on my own experience of going back to school mm -hmm. so during the pandemic this is like one of the most ridiculous things that I ever did to myself. So in June of 2020, I was like, I've been sitting in my house for the last like six months. 
I'm working, I'm working really hard. That's all I'm doing. I like, I'm, I'm not, I don't have any professional development. Like I, where am I going to be at the end of this year? So I enrolled in university of Maryland, Mm -hmm. um, graduate certificate program. I was, uh, I was nominated for a scholarship for the do good Institute. And, um, I went back to get a graduate certificate and I just, you know, whatever I had to fill out the application and do the things. And I, I got in and I think it was partially because I was nominated by people. So, you know, but I totally forgot what it meant to go back to school. And it was a graduate certificate. It wasn't a BA. What it was not like a, you know, I also did a coaching course from the local community college at the same time. I don't know what I was thinking. I was on zoom from eight to 10 PM, 8 AM to 10 PM almost every night. It was crazy. But to your point, I wanted to just point out is that like, um, I, when I finished my certificate with University of Maryland, I didn't know that I was actually part of their alumni now. And when they started reaching out to me and they're like, we want you to be on this panel. We want you to do this thing. I was like, holy crap holy crap like and I was so and like I am so excited to be part of that alumni group now like I love being part of the uh, University of Maryland alumni group it just it's very cool um and I think it speaks to what you said about like when you're talking about your statement like these are all the things to think about mm -hmm. for sure and I wonder do you, I, I don't know if you dabble in like career resume sort of stuff is do would you say it's similar to like job applications or do you, it, I don't know if you dabble in that. Um, I have in the past. It's sort of similar to a cover letter, but it mm -hmm. feels so much heavier than that because you are okay. reflecting on your plans for life. Like when you commit <laughs> to get a graduate degree, that is a time, energy, money commitment for at least a year. Sometimes, you know, if you're going for a PhD, you could be up to seven. So um, I think it feels so much heavier. And also when you're declaring what your career plans are on that document, that feels sort of final when actually it's not another fun fact, pro tip, like you are not committed to whatever you write about in your statement. I certainly did not fulfill what I proclaimed in my original statement because once I was in school and learned more about what the opportunities were available to me, then I was able mm -hmm. to make, you know, an educated choice to do something different than my original game plan. But when you're sitting in those quiet moments at night, after work, trying to figure out your next game plan, it just feels so intense. So I want to bring some levity and some clarity to people yeah. because it doesn't have to be, maybe it was because like my writing process was, oh gosh, I cried so many times. Um, I'm just an emotional person as well. But, so, but most people probably don't get as like intense about their statement as I did. But I was thinking about my future. Again, being a first-generation student, yeah. It was something that no one in my family had ever done this before or, you know, they could offer support, but not, it was like, we've got you. It wasn't like, so make sure you do this, this, and this, yes. and you need to talk to this person and ensure you take care of this before you do this. Um, it's just like, congratulations. Let us know if you got in. So Good luck. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like, uh, like 
for me, I, when I was in high school, my advisor said, don't apply to college, just go to community college. And when, uh, when I walked past the auditorium and everybody was, were taking their um, SATs, I felt like I was such a rock star. I'm like, I'm not taking the SATs because I'm just going to community college. And I mean, everything turned out and everything happens for a reason and everything, but I was like, well, that was kind of shitty, you know, <laughs> like, like you didn't like, you know, nobody steered me in the direction. And then I kept trying to go back to school. And then finally, when I landed here in UMB in, in Maryland, um, I didn't, I had no idea how to apply for college. I literally walked on the UMBC campus to the administration office and said, what, what do I need to do? Yeah. And, um, where's and the then paper? I, <laughs> yeah, where's the paper? And they're like, go to this portal. I'm like, I'm 35 years old. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I need to have a piece of paper. And um, it was very confusing. And I, you know, I know that I couldn't get into UMBC today. Um, I'm grateful that I got, you know, in my first try and I, I got my acceptance letter and I felt like, oh my God, I'm going to, I'm going to college at 35 years old. This is so cool. Maybe I was 32. I don't know. I can't remember. I was in my thirties when I went back to school. Um, but you're, you know, what you're doing is, is, is so important. And I can already tell that like, whoever's listening to this can feel like, um, you know, you're, an, you're an AmeriCorps alum and you've gone through, you've, you've sat with the kids and you've, you've done, you've done the things. And I, it, you know, that's kind of the genesis of this podcast where like, we're AmeriCorps members. We've all had similar experiences. And so if there's somebody, somebody that you want to ever reach out to for yourself or your kids, like wouldn't Dr. Jenna mm -hmm. be like somebody that you would feel comfortable doing that with? Like, Hey, I was an NCCC member and like, I have a kid or I want to go back. And, um, yeah. So I don't know. I just think it's amazing. We're lucky. Did you say there's like over a million AmeriCorps alums too, which is just almost unfathomable. That's incredible. Yeah. So the last, last I heard, um, was from the CEO, uh, director of AmeriCorps, Sonali. And I think it was 1.2, but that was like a year or so ago. And of course we're not all here anymore, but 1.2 million AmeriCorps members have gone through service. Um, and, and I, I don't know if that includes Vista, which started earlier, right? So Vista was actually in the 1960s and AmeriCorps was actually in the, in 1993 or four. Um, so there's a lot of us out there. There's a lot of us out there. And, um, so I want to close this out with what else do you want to share about what you're doing? Um, you obviously said, reach out to you on LinkedIn. Is there any, any, any other way or anything else that you want to promote that you're doing? Sure. So my website is drjennapugh.com, which is D-R-J-E-N-A-P-U-G-H.com. I'm only a one end Jenna. My, I'm actually under five feet. So like my, my opener to people is like, you have to be five feet before you get the second end. Um, but that's <laughs> so funny. Um, so I'm at drjennapugh.com and sign up for my email list and a lot of things are taking shape. So I only went live with this three months ago or so. And so I am learning and growing at the same time. Um, I'm also, so I mentioned I'm on LinkedIn. I'm also on Medium 
and Pinterest. I'm so my social media sources, I guess, are ones that had a little bit more shelf life was of interest to me. Um, but we'll see where this goes. So I'm looking forward to growing and adapting and finding out what people's needs are. So if you know anyone who's thinking about graduate school, send me a message. I would love to chat with them and figure out how I can help and what types of resources are actually needed because it doesn't always have to be one-on-one -on -one coaching. It can be, mm -hmm. what is a trusted resource that I can click on at 2 a.m. Yeah. when I'm actually working on this that I know is going to help get me to the next step in the process. So that's what I'm hoping to build. That's amazing. And then my final question, question that, um, you know, I always send a list of questions and I never ask any of them, but this <laughs> is the one thing I always ask is, um, you know, what do you see for us alumni group you know, like you mentioned, we're 1.2 million strong. Like, what do you see for us big nationally, regionally, locally, close by, I don't know, online? What What do you think we could do? Uh, there's so, so many of us. Maybe this is probably inspired by the recent Barbie movie and how the marketing <laughs> has just been wild. Okay. Um, if there is something that could be done where maybe there is a national day of service where all of us commit to serving where we are in some way they this might already exist but if in some of the larger cities maybe if they hosted a big day of service that could be highly promoted before after oh i think i cut out nope Sorry. you're good you're nope you're right um so there, there is an AmeriCorps week and generally that's in March. Can you hear me? Oh, are we cutting out? Am I going to have to cut this? I like how your frozen smiled. I think that's really great. Oh, you cut out. Okay. And when are you back? We're going to have to edit this out, but you, you're smiling very lovely. Don't hang up. Okay. There you're back. <laughs> I'll cut that part out. You did so funny. You were I like, I can hear oh, you. <laughs> the cat is awake now. I'll cut some of this out. Um, but you mentioned the National Day of Service, and I think something that might. Okay. We're back. And also, when you, <laughs> you froze, your cat was mid yawn. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. She's like, ah. Um, so you mentioned a National Day of Service, and there are some, but I think that AmeriCorps week, which is usually in March, would be a great time for all of us to come together. And um, I'm trying to figure out if there's something that we can do. And that'll be um, something that I'll share out maybe at the end of this year or something. But I agree. Like, let's come together. There's plenty of us. There's plenty of opportunities for us to come together nationally for a, a day of service. And there's that AmeriCorps week in March that would make a lot of sense for alumni to come together. And um, and in the meantime, if you're looking to go back to school, graduate program, doctorate, undergraduate, we're going to all reach out to Dr. Jenna Pugh with one N because she's not quite at the five foot. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to add before we close out and before your internet shuts down? 
<laughs> right. Well, I just want to thank you so much for reaching out and taking the time to interview me. This has been so much fun. I've enjoyed our conversations prior to this as well and absolutely love everything that you're doing and the episodes that I've listened to so far and I have many more to catch up on as well, but you're doing a fantastic service. And as all AmeriCorps members know, like it just takes somebody to do the work. And so um, committing to do this is not a small feat, especially when you're working full time. So on behalf of all of us, thank you oh. for anyone who gets to even listen to a single episode. This is um, a labor of love and we understand and appreciate it. That every time anybody says anything like that to me, I just am like, okay, I'll keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm committed to a full year. I'm willing to do a full year for um, but thank you so much. And um, for all of you that made it all the way to the end, thank you so much. Um, there may be some snippets of Goose doing her her yawn. I don't know. Um, but we will be uh, back with AmeriCorps Connections interviewing another AmeriCorps alumni because I have, it's like, it's like BWI folks, the, the, the planes are landing. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Jenna. And thank you all for tuning in and uh, let's keep getting things done for, for America. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I want to keep that in there. <laughs> yeah. Bye everyone. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>